This coming Sunday night is an exciting Sunday night. Our friends at the OHEL have their annual gala. OHEL's 51st annual gala, entitled Celebrate Strength, will feature guests of honor Toby and Yoeli Steinberg and the Gourmet Glot family. The uh, Harvey and Gloria Cayley Community Impact Awardees, Adina Lewis and Lawrence Garbuz. The Nadiv Lave Awardees, Shani and Dove Weinstock. Shame Tove Awardees, Libby and Shlamey Dax. And they'll, of course, salute our uh, OHEL COVID heroes, the OHEL team of direct support professionals who have been nothing short of heroic during the uh, last year. You could join OHEL's virtual event this coming Sunday night. You could view the inspiring event, and remember uh, remember when you uh, watch the event, literally because you are logged on, you'll be entered to win one of two grand prizes. First prize, a trip to Dubai with the itinerary curated by the uh, chief rabbi of the UAE, Rabbi Yehuda Sarna. And second prize, free tuition to OHEL's Camp Cayley for the summer of 2021. Information about all of this as we encourage you to join in to support OHEL and to be part of this coming Sunday night's gala, uh, email gala at ohelfamily.org, log on to ohelgala.org, or dial 718-972-9338. We mentioned that uh, the uh, Community Impact Awardees are Adina Lewis and Lawrence Garbuz. They are a couple that live up in uh, New Rochelle and have a, uh, a law firm that has been extremely instrumental a really important part of one of the most important parts of OHEL services, which we will discuss coming up here at JM in the AM. On March the 2nd of 2020, which was one year ago yesterday, Lawrence Garbuz became the first person in New York to be diagnosed with a very serious case of COVID-19. And one year later, Baruch Hashem, he is on with us via telephone to discuss his coming Sunday night's Oh, hell, Gala. Uh, Lawrence Garbuz, a pleasure to welcome you to JM in the AM. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. How are you doing one year later? Uh, very lucky to be alive and very grateful for all that has happened uh, in terms of the care I've received and the love and support from family and friends and that we're happy to have this conversation now a year later. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure you're extremely grateful for that, to say the least. As, as we might say in the vernacular, how long were you out of it? I mean, when you woke up, you had missed about how much time of this pandemic? So I was in a coma for um, two weeks. And prior to um, being placed in a medically induced coma, I was in a hospital for about three or four days. I have no memory at all uh, for about two and a half weeks um, uh, while I was um, getting increasingly uh, weaker and sicker. And of course, the coma, I have no memory at all. Uh, and as I slowly woke up, uh, my wife had the uh, very difficult task of telling me uh, that the world in New York City in particular and my community in New Rochelle had been plunged into this pandemic. Um, and I couldn't believe some of the things that my wife had uh, had mentioned. For example, I had uh, my father's yard site uh, soon after uh, I, uh, I came out of the coma and uh, was anxious for there to be a minion. Uh, my wife had to explain to me that there was no minion, uh, right. and that there was no perm, uh, and I just couldn't, I couldn't comprehend it. 
Yeah. We couldn't believe as we were experiencing it that, that a synagogue of ours here in, in any neighborhood around the world, which is open 365 days a year, three times a day, uh, could ever be shuttered down and closed. And, and sure enough, that's exactly what happened. I can imagine how startling a revelation that and many other things were for you uh, when you woke up for that coma. I, I obviously want to get to OHEL and, and to the amazing work you and your wife do, but I'm just curious, and you, you don't have to answer this question if it's a medically sensitive one, uh, but but do they know why you were the first? I, I would have to assume that at some point the assumption is you came into contact with somebody who came from some part of the world? Are there any theories about that? There's no look, lots of theories. We don't know. Um, you know, I during the period of time I stayed in the New York metropolitan area, and uh, I've thought long and hard where I could have possibly have been infected. And you know, quite honestly, I I, I don't know. Um, and um, you know, I was the um, unfortunate one to get it. Um, but mm-hmm. as I like to describe myself, I was the canary in the coal mine. Yep. Um, when I was diagnosed, uh, everyone very quickly found out that um, COVID was here uh, and that it was time to very quickly um, uh, take those precautions that were necessary in order to avoid, uh, you know, the spread um, of, uh, of, the, uh, of COVID. And uh, as I think you pointed this out, unless the Wall Street Journal did, I don't remember, you know, who, I, I, who mentioned it in the article in yesterday's paper, but... Um, uh, the reality is it's very possible that many other people in the New York area and other areas were infected in January and February and simply didn't know it. I mean, I have relatives who, you know, at this point swear that they had symptoms in January that were, you know, flu-like, but likely at that point were COVID-19. So you're obviously being recognized as the first serious case in this area, but many others may have had it before you. Exactly. Um, I, too, have heard of um, many people who have um unexplained illnesses January and February, people that we know personally. Um, And uh, I guess I was the one who uh, was diagnosed uh, uh, first. So I give uh, lots of credit uh, to my my doctor. Uh, I give credit uh, also to my wife, who was sort of smart enough to realize that there was something, uh, there was something wrong um, as, as it relates to what was happening to me and, you know, how I was uh, deteriorating so quickly. You, you're, the other family members who had it in your immediate family, thank God, did not have it nearly as serious as you did, right? Right. I have uh, four children. Two um, did have COVID. Um, they had a significantly milder um, um, a case of, right. of COVID, uh, and I had two who were abroad, um, uh, two were in Israel at the time, uh, and they um, they never got it. Um, and uh, even though they came back to New York, um, they uh, they fortunately never uh, were infected. Um, and, and finally, before I really do get into this coming Sunday night and the well-deserved honor for you and your wife and the incredible work of OHEL, and especially the, the, the piece of OHEL that you work with, which we'll talk about in a moment, I need to I need to convey and get a reaction from you about your community. Uh, I know that you know certain communities could be scarred for life after being you know designated and publicized for an extended period of time as the epicenter of the start of this disease. And in in my estimation, and from what I observed, the way the young Israel of New Rochelle and its leadership and its rabbi. And the people that they uh, that they um, were helped w- uh, were helped by, uh, whether it was the National Guard, local officials, uh, uh, other residents of New Rochelle, etc. 
and and remember, we didn't have to deal with Purim last year. We were in Shul Purim last year. In New Rochelle, they were not, and that was a difficult situation between Megillah reading, Mishloch Manos, and everything else. With oh, and they were more isolated. They were more isolated. You know, a week later, the whole world was in that situation. At that Shabbos, though Shabbos Zacher, they were they were alone in all of this. Anyway, my point is. I don't know if a community could have responded and dealt with this situation from top to bottom the way your community did. And I would assume, after examining this situation now for the last year, you would agree with me. I couldn't agree uh, more with you. New Rochelle is a very special place. The shul, young Israel of New Rochelle, um, from uh, the the, uh, lay leadership, uh, Rabbi Fink and Rabbi Axelrod, and just our community here in New Rochelle, the love and support. Uh, of friends, um, for uh, me, my family, uh, and for each other. Uh, I think a year uh, now looking back, I think that the community has really exemplified uh, what it means to reach out and care uh, and to really feel um, uh, to, uh, to, to, to be there for each other. Um, my family and I are very fortunate to be part of this wonderful, wonderful community, and I think that, they way, that the way that they have conducted themselves uh, truly is um, um, uh, remarkable and really a condition. Yeah, we, uh, we know a lot of families in your community, and you've described them well. Lawrence Garbuz is with us. He and his wife, Adina Lewis, are being recognized as coming Sunday night as the Community Impact Awardees named for Harvey Olava Shalom and Gloria Cayley at the OHEL 51st Annual Gala which we call Celebrate Strength, and I will toss in after this whole discussion over the last few minutes that they, of course, in addition to all the honorees, will be saluting the COVID heroes of OHEL. OHEL's team of direct support professionals are, uh, in fact, in the category of heroic, real heroes of the last year, and uh, they are going to be recognized as coming Sunday night. We encourage everybody to place journal ads, to register for the dinner. You'll be part of that uh, big raffle uh, if you're uh, logged on on Sunday night, go to ohelgala.org or dial 718-972-9338. How many years have you been involved with OHEL? At least 20 years now. I've had the um, uh, the pleasure of working with uh, the leadership at OHEL in terms of caring for those who are most in need. Now, I will tell you, I mean, Ronnie Hirsch, David Mandel, and many others over the years have described the Lifetime Care Foundation, and I believe that's the part of OHEL that you deal with the most. And, and the reason I think it's so significant and that this audience needs to pay attention to this is because when it comes to immediate needs, you know, this person, this family, this community needs something now. There's an emergency. We're really good at responding. But often when it comes to uh, what might be needed in the future and what we might need to consider in terms of someone's lifetime care, very often that gets overlooked. So I feel that the Lifetime Care Foundation, I remember when it was founded, I remember the first interview we did about it, uh, the Lifetime Care Foundation is one of the most important parts of OHEL, where they're going to make sure that when parents are gone and siblings are either gone or not able to help out with someone who really needs to be uh, to be taken care of financially and otherwise, the Lifetime Care Foundation will be there for them. And you, if I have this correct, with your wife, your law firm, essentially on a pro bono basis for all these years helps the Lifetime Care Foundation set up what is necessary for the residents that I described. Does that basically descri- uh, describe the the uh, the uh, work that you've been doing with them over all these years? Absolutely. Um, when 
I would meet with families together with um, um, Lifetime Care Foundation, and I, I do want to point out Rabbi Simcha Foreman, who for many years right. was with Lifetime Care Foundation, Correct. Um, that we were uh, looking to do plans for family members that went out 20, 30, 50 years uh, in order to make certain that those who were most vulnerable uh, were taken care of in terms of uh, dealing with parents with a disabled, special needs individual um, to make certain that that person was protected, safe, and secure. And I'm sure it provided tremendous gratification that an estate plan had been developed, that we had used everything in our uh, toolkit, so to speak, uh, to make certain that um, the individual was protected. And also, let's be honest, um, to the extent that there were resources, to make certain that those resources were protected, both in terms of preserving uh, benefits that they were entitled to receive in terms of needs-based governmental benefits, but also to make certain that it was protected from other individuals um, who may have nefarious motives um, in uh, trying to access those funds um, for themselves. So it did really involve a, a comprehensive approach, and I, you know, I am thankful to my partner and also uh, to all of the colleagues at Lewis and Garbus who have worked together with me for so many years um, in um, addressing this most pressing need. I appreciate the sensitive manner in which you describe it, but uh, but frankly, th- there are a lot of people out there trying to get people's money. They're trying to get innocent people's money. They're trying to take advantage of people, especially people who it's easy to take advantage of. Uh, it, it must be really difficult because not only are you dealing with all the legalities and everything you need to set up to make sure that person is financially stable for the next many decades, but you have to fend off family and friends who you know might be interfering under the guise of trying to help out. Sure, absolutely. As part of the planning, we certainly want to make certain that um, the uh, individual with special needs is safe and secure. Um, and uh, But sometimes there are people who come out who feel a sense of uh, entitlement, and I think entitlement uh, is, a, is a dirty word, um, that people feel that that money belongs uh, to them for whatever legal theory. Uh, and then you have to litigate, uh, and then sometimes the courts need to get involved uh, that these, these funds, this money really is intended for a particular individual. It needs to be held in a trust. Uh, and when it comes to that part uh, of the legal work, uh, again, very fortunate that our firm is able to um, protect the individual and go to court as necessary uh, to make certain that those people who uh, want to do harm uh, are uh, unsuccessful uh, in their objectives. How does a firm gain a specialty like this? Oh, I've always wanted to be a trust and estates lawyer, even before I went to law school. Hmm. Uh, and just a uh, sort of a funny story that I like to tell is that my first day of law school, uh, I was uh, sitting next to uh, a federal law student, and I was explaining how I wanted to do a trust and estates, and I wanted to uh, care for people and work for families. And I gave a whole story, uh, first day of law school, as to what I wanted to do. And that law school classmate that I was speaking to is Adina Lewis. Uh, and she and I have uh, developed uh, over 20-plus years this firm. Uh, and I'm very fortunate to call her my um, – that she's my wife, she's my partner, um, and uh, I'm really very happy what uh, the two of us have created uh, and, over these many years. And she was your caretaker at a very difficult time. <laughs> she, she, she did her all, yes. In American medical history, uh, this pandemic. Oh, Hell's 51st Annual Gala. 
this coming Sunday night. Please, please be part of it, everybody. I, I mentioned last week when Yaeli Steinberg was on, it's such a critical year to be there for OHEL. We sometimes think after being isolated for a year that organizations in our community are doing nothing, that they are dormant, and it's just the opposite with an organization like OHEL. They redoubled and retripled their efforts to be there on behalf of people. So please, it's a really important year to be there for OHEL. Uh, you can uh, certainly pay tribute to Adina Lewis and Lawrence Garbuz, the award- Community Impact Awardees, and to all the honorees by going to ohelgala.org or by dialing 718-972-9300. Now, somebody who's not under the OHEL umbrella, somebody who's, you know, regular person in our community, how can they take advantage of your services? I, and I don't mean information. We'll do that a little later on. We'll find out from you exactly how to contact you and your firm. But 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 there must be regular people out there who need your services. Who would be in that category? Every person over the age of 18 uh, is somebody who needs to speak to a trusted estates attorney uh, to make certain that their affairs are being taken care of. Um, And uh, many individuals think that you need to have a certain level of resources in order to engage a trusted estates attorney. It's not true at all. Um, If somebody were to become disabled, become ill, we want to make certain that there are appropriate um, documents in place called advanced directives. Uh, if there are funds, we want to make certain that there are um, uh, that there's a will to direct where the individual wants those funds to um, to go to. But most important uh, is that every parent with a child under the age of 18 needs to have an appropriate will in order to direct legal guardianship in the event that something happens to them. And they are they need to designate who will serve as legal guardian for their children. Um, if a parent passes away, a child's under the age of 18, the courts have no idea what the parent's uh, desire was in terms of who would to serve as legal guardian. Um, and the only clear way to do that is by means of a last will or other estate planning documents. Now. Unfortunately, over the uh, span of 20-plus years, I have seen a lot of individuals who have uh, tried to do it on their own. Uh, And unfortunately, doing it on their own creates more harm than good. And uh, I would encourage people to go out, meet with an attorney, talk to an attorney, and get it done. It is so very, very important. So if God Um, forbid, if God forbid a couple, and I'm I'm being dramatic here because I think it drives the point home and really could help save the future of certain families. But if a couple perishes in an accident, which is not so crazy that these things happen every day, uh, you know, today, and they leave children under the age of 18, what would happen to those children if there's no specific directive from those parents? Um, the courts will have to figure it out. Um, and sometimes grandparents try and uh, duke it out, so to speak, in terms of who's going to uh, raise the children, maybe it, it gets, siblings. It, gets very, the it, yep. it gets very messy, it sounds like. Extremely, extremely messy. Um, and it's really something that is so avoidable um, in terms of, you know, get it done, get the estate planning done. And, you know, uh, when somebody comes into my firm and they sign the necessary documents, the, the look on their faces, the sense of relief, this is something that they needed to do. Yeah. They, they can now cross it off their list 
of things that they have now done uh, is just absolutely, absolutely wonderful. Um, I would be remiss uh, just with respect to the OHEL dinner if sure. I didn't mention um, that the um, one of the speakers, uh, the keynote speaker, if I may, um, is my wife. Um, and she's really going to be talking about her experience, and her experience touches upon absolutely everything that's happened over the span of this uh, past year um, in terms of how she dealt with it, uh, in terms of uh, the services that OHEL uh, provides, in terms of um, just what happened uh, and how, as a parent, uh, as a spouse, how she was able to spring into action, talking to uh, doctors in really the most critical time um, to make certain that those uh, treatments that I needed were done um, immediately. Um, and, um, and, um, and because of my wife's ability to speak on my behalf, because I have, of course, done an estate plan, uh, and I've appointed her, uh, I think, a smart choice on my part to make those types of legal decisions. She was able to engage in conversations with doctors and medical staff, uh, and even on financial needs. Uh, she was able to talk to people with respect to uh, financial matters, um, and I couldn't have uh, picked a better agent to make those decisions for me. Because in a regular situation, someone has a stroke, a heart attack, they're somewhat disabled, and now a relative walks in and wants to speak on their behalf, it makes it much easier when officially they're allowed to speak on their behalf. Absolutely. Uh, and if there are the, the, these documents are not in place, yeah. um, then the only way that person could, in theory, speak on that uh, um, individual's behalf might be the need for a guardianship. And that's, a, that's an ugly uh, term, and right. it's, a, uh, it's a proceeding we should always try and avoid. You know, we all love our families, but after speaking to you, it sounds like if you really love your family, you'll take the time to, we will take the time to, you know, do these documents, set things up, and make sure they're taken care of, you know, no matter what the situation is that arises. That's right. Just, just get it done. Um, yeah. And particularly this year, um, I think we all are cognizant of what's happened yeah. and you know, get those planning documents done. And I'm glad you mentioned that your wife is speaking on Sunday night. I think there are a lot of people anxious to hear her and this whole journey and everything she went through. I mean, uh, uh, you know, uh, there's a certain status that, that she and you, you know, have obtained now in our community because of the circumstances, unfortunately, that you all went through. But I think people are really anxious to hear from her and uh, from the perspective of, you know, it's one thing to be the person, and believe me, I'm not minimizing you being in a hospital bed, uh, but, you, but you know that when it comes to the support system and the caregiver, very often that's a, a situation that gets overlooked, just how you know difficult the situation they're in. You know, we know how difficult the situation the patient's in, that we get, but sometimes we, we don't realize how difficult the situation the caregiver is in, so... Sure. The superhero really is uh, my wife, Adina Lewis. Um, but uh, I encourage people to uh, participate in the dinner this uh, Sunday night, um, uh, give to OHEL, uh, and listen to what she has to say. It's really very insightful, uh, you know, her words that she wants to share uh, with the community. All right. Two more things, Lawrence Garbuz, and I appreciate all the time this morning. And thank God you sound great, by the way. I'm, I'm, sure, you like, you. I'm sure you like hearing that, right? <laughs> Why yeah, not? I do. Thank you. <laughs> it must, must be a great feeling when people say to you, you sound great. Uh, number one, how do people get in touch with your firm? If people now want to take advantage of what you and your wife uh, and your partners and everybody at the firm does and, uh, and in, in a way pay tribute to all the help you give to the Lifetime Care Foundation at OHEL. How do they reach you? How do they uh, go ahead and take advantage of your services? 
Well, you can call us directly, of course, and, you know, there's a whole staff that's able to address questions. But the best way probably is um, our website, uh, www.lewisgarbuz11lettersnospace.com. Um, and uh, or people could always Google my last name, G A R B U Z, and that will direct them uh, directly to uh, our website. And you know, we're happy to uh, to speak to um, to uh, anyone um, to uh, address questions and see if we're a right fit. And finally, uh, after what you said about the tree in your front yard and your greater appreciation for it, now that uh, you've survived COVID nineteen, please God, I don't think you'll mind addressing this question. I think it's a really important point for our audience and uh, for all of us together. We've spent a lot of time together. We as an audience, as a people through this forum, we've been together and very close for the last year throughout this entire episode. And we've lost, frankly, a lot of people. All of us know people, most of us know people who are close to us in some way, friends, family, etc., that did not survive this terrible pandemic. And it's been a, and it took a particularly, as you know, a particularly heavy hit on uh, the Jewish community, some might say specifically the Orthodox Jewish community in many neighborhoods uh, that are tuned in right now. What could you tell us about appreciating life? What could you tell us about the uh, about uh, finding out on a regular basis about those who were perishing from this disease and appreciating the ability to breathe clearly and to make it through a regular uh, um, average day? Um, in light of the circumstances? Oh, I think what I would say is that we all need to slow down a little bit. We all live busy lives. There's lots of things that we need to do uh, over the span of 24 hours. Uh, and, and and I do think that um, if we uh, are careful in terms of what we do, uh, we're diligent. And if we just uh, are able to sort of think and come up with uh, a plan in terms of all those things that we need to do in a given day um, and uh, take care of those things. You know, we can really see the beauty that, you know, Hashem has created for all of us. There's a beautiful tree in my front yard, and I walk by that tree uh, thousands of times, and I've never appreciated uh, as much as when I was finally um, discharged from rehab and I came home. And I saw this beautiful, beautiful tree, and I said, oh, my God, there's these wonderful things in the world, uh, and uh, it's time to time to slow down and appreciate more. And, and um, But it is heartbreaking. Um, it's been a horrible year for my family uh, as well. Um, yeah. uh, my wife lost an uncle, Professor Mark Steiner, who lived in Yushalayim, a wonderful person uh, who hopefully we hoped had many, many more years. Uh, and it's a sad year. We need to reflect, but we need to also go forward. Um, and I hope people go forward um, um, in, in a way that's healthy, um, that we are there for each other. Um, and I really hope that this horrible pandemic goes away um, as fast as possible. And I can't imagine that the odds were with you, so I'm sure you recognize just how lucky you are. I am. I'm very lucky. I can't thank you enough for joining us this morning. Thank you so much for being part of this. And Mazal Tov, and please send our best regards to your wife, and we anticipate her speech on Sunday night. And Mazal Tov to both you and her on the award. Thank you. My pleasure. Uh, information about the Louis Garbuz uh, law firm uh, and the work that they do, as we described during this conversation, you can go to their website, louisgarbuz.com, L-E-W-I-S-G-R-A-B-U-Z.com. Uh, and uh, there's information there on the website. We encourage everybody to pay tribute to uh, uh, both Adina Lewis and Lawrence Garbuz and all of their 
all of their colleagues who are being recognized as awardees this coming Sunday night, including Toby and Yoeli Steinberg and the Gourmet Glot family, Shani and Dove Weinstock, Libby and Schleimi Dax, and of course, OHEL's team of direct support professionals who have been on the front lines for the last year. It's now March 3rd. Remember Purim last year was March 10th, literally a year. Unbelievable. It's all happening Sunday night. Go to ohelgala.org, get your journal ads in there, register for the event. You'll be registered for the raffle. You can win a trip to Dubai. Um, you can email them, gala at ohelfamily.org, or if you want, you can call them at 718-972-9338, 718-972-9338. Let's make sure we're all logged on this coming Sunday night participating in a uh, really important Yet another important OHEL Gala. Wednesday morning broadcast. You are listening to JM in the AM.